So welcome everyone. It's a great, uh, it's with great pleasure that I'd like to introduce Art Krenner. Hey, it's awesome. Um, Art is, uh, has a very long and distinguished career in uh, feedback control, particularly nonlinear control systems. Um, there's a huge number of awards and other things. One in particular I'd like to mention is the Bodhi Lecture Prize, which is a very, very prestigious prize um, that Art gave in uh, 2006 at the San Diego CDC. Um, he's in a range of works over a number of areas and particularly Hamilton Jacoby Bellman equations is one of the topics that uh, he's been interested in. Uh, he's also spent some time at Newcastle which also is also a good good ad. Don't hold that again. And uh, he's going to talk to us about patchy solutions to the Hamilton Jacoby Bellman equation. Thanks very much Art. Well, thank you, Rick, and thank you all for coming. It's a pleasure to be here. This is my second trip to Ireland, but most of my ancestors came uh, back in the 19th century uh, from, from Ireland to the United States. So I'll try to put a little lilt in my voice and uh, <laughs> deliver this lecture with uh, some local color. Uh, I thought, uh, I was thinking over the, some of the things I could have talked about, and it seemed that the Hamilton-Jacobi equations was a very appropriate topic for the Hamilton Institute. So. That's what I'm going to talk about. Um, this is joint work with my former student, Carmelisa Navasco, who's now at Clarkson University. And uh, th this is work that started many years ago when she was a student at Davis. We kind of let it slide. We went, you know, in the course of a research project, you get distracted by other available paths, and we went down another path for her thesis. And recently, we've come back to it. So. Um, the problem deals with optimal control problems. We have a Lagrangian L, a function of x, the state and the control u. The state and control are related by a dy dynamical system, a differential equation. We have some initial condition. And uh, we're going to take the infinite horizon optimal cost problem. Uh, this is the easiest one to work with. So we're looking at the integral from time 0 to time infinity of the Lagrangian. And we're trying to minimize this over all possible controls given that we started at the point x0. Um, that value, that function, is, uh, if, it, if the minimum, if the infimum does exist, we'll call pi of x0. And what we'll see is that the actual feedback itself, the, con the, the function of time that we want to use, can be written in feedback form. It's some function kappa of x of t. So what we're looking for is pi and kappa, these two functions. Pi is a scalar-valued function. Kappa takes the same dimensions as the u variable. Now, uh, connected with this is the famous Hamiltonian with the adjoint variable. I'm using lambda here as an adjoint variable. It's an n-dimensional vector, just as x is. And here's the Hamiltonian. It's lambda in a product with f plus the Lagrangian L. And it turns out that if pi is smooth, then it satisfies the famous Hamilton-Jacobi equation, actually the Hamilton-Jacobi-Bellman partial differential equation. That is, if we minimize the Hamiltonian, where the adjoint variable is the gradient of pi, uh, over all variables, for, for a given uh, value of that gradient and for a given value of x, if we minimize that over u, we should get zero. And the actual value of u that minimizes this, there may be several values, 
but uh, one of them is the optimal control that we're looking for. I should tell you a little story about Bellman's name here in this book. Uh, many years ago when I was a young uh, PhD, just finished my PhD, I visited a famous professor at UC San Diego and we got to talking about optimal control problems and he told me a little story about Bellman. It seems that uh, this San Diego professor had done his graduate work at Stanford and Bellman came to Stanford at the time and gave a presentation in which he presented the Hamilton, presented an equation which he called the Bellman equation. And um, it was basically this partial differential equation we're looking at here. And uh, my friend who was a graduate student at the time went up to him afterwards and said, you know, I, that, that looks very familiar. That looks like the Hamilton-Jacobi equation. And he said, well, I, Bellman said, I, I don't know anything about the Hamilton-Jacobi equation. And my friend said, well, you know, I have a book on my desk from the Stanford Library that you checked out a year ago that has the Hamilton-Jacobi <laughs> equation in it. And there's your name, right? In those days, when you checked the book out, you wrote your name on a little tag of paper that was glued in the inside. So anyhow, Bellman managed to get his name attached to the equation. We can argue whether it was right or wrong. So here's a brief derivation, a very quick and sloppy derivation. So if we, uh, the optimal cost starting at x0 is the optimal cost at some later time plus the cost from time zero up to that later time. So we break the cost up into two parts. This is sometimes called the principle of optimality. And if we expand the right-hand side in a power series in time, we get the constant term from here and then we get the order one term, order one in time term from here, and then we get higher order terms which we're neglecting. So this pi over here, pi at x0 cancels with that pi of x0, and so if we actually want to minimize this, what we have to minimize is the coefficient of t, and that we recognize is the Hamilton-Jacobi equation that I have here. So that's a quick and dirty derivation. That derivation, of course, depends on the fact that pi is differentiable and we can expand this in a power series through terms of order one. Uh, but many, off, many times in optimal control problems, even relatively nice problems, a smooth solution does not exist or a solution does not exist that is smooth everywhere. Typically solutions will have singularities, discontinuities, oh, not discontinuities, but corners uh, at various locations. And then we have to take a broader definition of what it means to satisfy the Hamilton-Jacobi equation. This is work uh, due to Pierre-Louis Lyons and Michael Crandall. Uh, they came up with the definition of a viscosity solution. And what you do is you take a test function phi that is a C infinity function. And if phi has a minimum at, let's, let's assume that phi of x is actually equal to pi of x. We can always adjust phi by a constant so that that is the case. So the left-hand side is zero. So if phi, ha phi minus pi has a minimum at the point x, then this inequality needs to be satisfied. And on the other hand, if phi minus psi has a maximum at the point x, then the reverse inequality has to be satisfied. So a continuous function that satisfies these two conditions is called the viscosity solution of the PDE. Now, we'd like the Hamiltonian to be strictly convex in U, and then we can achieve the minimization by just setting the partial derivative of H with respect to U equal to zero. I'm using subscripts here for partial derivatives. So here's the Hamiltonian again, and we take its partial with respect to U, we set it equal to zero, 
and we get a pair of equations which we can substitute for the Hamilton-Jacobi equation. So we get rid of the minimization part of the Hamilton equation in the, in the case of strict convexity in U. So here's an example where that might happen, and this is a, a not unusual example. Here the dynamics depends linearly or affinely on U, and the optimal cost is a quadratic function of U, with this coefficient R of X being positive definite for all X. Um, so a particular example of that is the famous linear quadratic regulator where the cost looks like this. It's a quadratic function in X and U. R is positive definite, Q is non-negative definite. And we have a, a linear dynamics and an initial condition. And then the optimal cost in this particular case because of the linearity of the dynamics and the quadratic nature of the cost turns out to be a quadratic function of the state X. There should, be a sub, there should be a superscript zero here over there, or maybe I should have taken the superscript off here. And then the feedback itself is a linear function of x. And that particular, um, the Hamilton-Jacobi partial differential equation, in this case, reduces to the familiar algebraic Riccati equation. So the unknown is p, and p is related to k. So this is basically a p squared term here. So this is a quadratic function of p. And there may be many solutions, but under suitable hypothesis, there's a unique non-negative uh, non definite solution. And that's the one we're looking for. And here are the conditions to guarantee that. If fg is stabilizable, that is all the eigenvalues of f that can't be moved by state feedback are already in the left half plane. And if q, what, q to the 1 half, this is the symmetric square root of the, uh, the matrix q, is detectable, that means again all the eigenvalues of f that can't be moved by output injection are already in the left-hand plane. Then the algebraic Riccati equation has a unique non-negative definite solution and the closed-loop dynamics looks like this and it is exponentially stable so that all the eigenvalues of this matrix f plus gk are in the strict open left-half plane. When this holds, we'll say that the LQR problem is nice, so when, when we have stabilizability and detectability. Now, here's the nonlinear version of that problem. We have a Lagrangian dynamics. And let's assume that L has a power series expansion that looks like this. So here's the quadratic part of the cost. Then there's cubic terms in X and U. I'm using superscript in brackets to indicate a polynomial term of degree D. So you might think of this as a Taylor series expansion of L in the two variables in X and U and we've grouped all the cubic terms, all the quartic terms, and so on. Again, the dynamics has a linear part, plus quadratic terms, cubic terms, and higher terms. So here's a, a theorem. If the Hamiltonian is strictly convex in U, it's not, this is, by the way, not my theorem. This is an old theorem. It goes back, uh, I don't know, at least uh, 40 or 50 years in the optimal control literature, but probably a lot further in the calculus of variations literature. If the Hamiltonian is strictly convex in U and the LQR part of the nonlinear regulator is nice, then locally there exists a smooth solution to the Hamilton-Jacobi PDE. And here's a quick sketch of the proof. Uh, associated with the Hamiltonian, uh, with the optimal control problem, through the Pontryagin maximum principle, is the first order necessary conditions for a trajectory, an XU trajectory, to be. Um, in extremal trajectory. 
and that is that there exists an out adjoint variable trajectory, lambda as a function of time, which satisfies with x and u this, these three equations. And because of the strict convexity, this, this last equation essentially eliminates u and gives us u as a function of x and lambda, so this is really a 2n dimensional system of ordinary differential equations. And if we look at the 2n dimensional system of ordinary differential equations and we look at its linear part at the origin, if the LQR problem, LQR part of our nonlinear regular problem is nice, then all the eigenvalues, the eigenvalues of this system all lie off the imaginary axis. Because it's Hamiltonian, half of them lie in the right half plane and the other half lie at the reflections in the left half plane. So it, there is then an n-dimensional, this is a 2n-dimensional system, so there's an n-dimensional stable manifold uh, by the stable manifold theorem. And that n-dimensional stable manifold is the graph of the gradient of the optimal cost. Not a, the, 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 there's two theorems here. First of all, that this, uh, this, uh, this gradient, that psi is actually an exact one form, uh, and then that's, it, it's, um, it is the gradient of the optimal cost. Now, there's an old method that goes back to a Russian named Albrecht uh, back in the early 60s. And he, again, went out and expanded not only the original problem, but the solutions that we were looking for, the functions pi and kappa, in a power series extension. And the pi terms start with a quadratic, and the uh, feedback terms start with a linear term. Uh, when we plug these into the expansion, uh, into the Hamilton-Jacobi equation with the expansions of F and L and collect terms that are of lowest order, we wind up with the familiar, familiar algebraic Riccati equation that we saw before for the LQR regulator. And also, this basically this says that a similar relationship exists between K and P. So these are the same equations we had with the LQR regulator. The first equation, as you can see, is quadratic in x. The bottom equation is linear in x. But more importantly, the first equation is linear in the unknown p, but quadratic in the unknown k, while the second equation is linear in both unknowns. So we can solve the first equation. We can plug in what k is in terms of p from the second equation, plug it into the first, and we get a quadratic uh, algebraic equation in p. And these reduce to the LQR problem. So we'll say a nonlinear regulation problem is nice if it's LQR part, the linear part of the dynamics, the quadratic part of the cost, satisfies those detectability and stabilizability conditions. Now, in many problems, we're actually not looking for the optimal. The optimization is an artifact of what we're really trying to do. What we're really trying to do is find a feedback that stabilizes the dynamics. And one way of achieving this is to cast the problem as an optimal control problem, and then the optimal feedback uh, will stabilize the dynamics. So this Lagrangian for the optimal cost is, is actually a design parameter when looked at from that point of view. So then if we can solve for pi, pi is a Lyapunov function that verifies the asymptotic stability of the closed loop dynamics. So th this is the derivative of pi in the direction of f, so this is the rate of change of pi along trajectories of the closed loop system. And along those trajectories, it is a decreasing function. 
So this verifies stability, asymptotic stability. Now, that means that we can always choose Q such that this is detectable. So the only substantial, when looked at from this point of view, the only substantial restriction on these nonlinear regulation problems is that the linear dynamics be stabilizable. Now, Albrecht then went back and back to these uh, Hamilton-Jacobi equations. He's already solved it for the quadratic terms for the first equation and the linear terms for the second equation. So then he collected the cubic terms from the first equation and the quadratic terms from the second equation. These are cubic terms because here we're taking a partial of a, a cubic polynomial and multiplying by a linear function. So this gives us back a cubic polynomial. And again, this is a cubic term, another cubic term. These terms are all quadratic in, in x. Uh, notice there's no mention of u. And, and notice something else here in these equations, that the unknown, there are two unknowns in these equations. One unknown is, the, is pi 3, the cubic part of the optimal cost. The other unknown is kappa 2. The significant thing is that the first equation does not involve kappa 2. It only involves the first unknown, pi 3. And the other significant fact is that both equations are linear in the unknowns. So instead of having to solve a nonlinear problem, we're actually reduced to a series of linear problems by this power series expansion method. And the equations are triangular, as I just pointed out. The first equation doesn't have kappa 2 in it. Once we know what pi 3 is, then we can solve for kappa 2. So the question then is, could we solve this first equation, this one right here, for pi 3? So we have to look at the map. To answer that question, we have to look at the map. A cubic polynomial is mapped to another cubic polynomial by this operation, by directional derivative, in the direction of the closed-loop linear part of the dynamics. So this is a mapping from cubic polynomials to cubic polynomials. The eigenvalues of this mapping are sums, triple sums, of eigenvalues of f plus gk. This is a simple little calculation that one can do. And a cubic resonance would occur if one of these sums were actually zero, and that would make this map not onto. See, this is a map from a finite dimensional vector space of cubic polynomials back into the same vector space. So it's a square linear map. So if it's on two, it's one to one, and vice versa. So if uh, one of the eigenvalues is zero, it's certainly not on two. But we just said before that under our nice assumptions, the closed loop dynamics, f plus gk, has all its eigenvalues in the open left half plane. So all these eigenvalues here have a, a real part that is negative. So a sum of any three of them will have a real part that is negative. And so this map is on two, and therefore we can we can solve this equation for pi 3. Once we solve for pi 3, we plug pi 3 in here, and we solve for kappa 2. A simple matrix inversion does that for us. Um, Dar Dahlia and Luke showed that under pseudo-conditions, this series expansion converges to the true solution. The method has been implemented on many examples over the years, just a few, Garrett and Jordan, Yoshida Lapara, Spencer, Timlin, Stain, and Dyke. I, I put this into a MATLAB-based toolbox 10 years ago. Uh, but the problem with Albrecht's method is that it's essentially local in nature. It is not a global method. 
And adding extra degrees, you, you can keep on calculating higher and higher degree terms in the power series expansion of the two functions, pi and kappa, that you're looking for. But getting higher and higher terms, first of all, gets more difficult because the number of monomials is increasing. So the size of the linear systems that you have to satisfy is, is getting larger. They have to solve is getting larger and larger. But the main problem is that adding extra terms doesn't necessarily give you a larger domain where the solution is valid. It may give you the solution more accurately in that domain, but it doesn't give you a larger domain. And that's the problem. And another problem with it is that when you implement the closed loop solution, kappa is a polynomial of this in the state x. So you're using a feedback law that is polynomial in x. So you're adding polynomial terms to the dynamics. Now most polynomial dynamics are unstable. Think of x dot equals x squared, for example. Or x dot equals x cubed, another example, scalar x. These are inherently unstable. So in the truncating the solution at a certain point typically leads to unstable dynamics once you get a bit of the way from the origin where, where everything is nice. At the origin everything is nice because you know that the linear part is asymptotically stable so the nonlinear part is locally asymptotically stable but you get away a little bit and bad things happen. Uh, and Albrecht's method also ignores the fact that pi and kappa may not be smooth uh, there may be conjugate points, focal points, and other exotic behavior. Now we do expect the solution to be smooth in most places. We expect maybe, you know, lower dimensional manifolds on which there are corners to pi or corners to kappa, or actually jumps in kappa sometimes. But um, we can't do much more than that. So what I'm proposing is a new method based on Albrecht's method to start with, the famous techniques of Cauchy-Kovalevsky that was used to prove existence of solutions of analytic differential equations. Uh, fast marching and sweeping methods of Sitsiklis that were generalized by Asher and Sethian. And Apache technique uh, that has its roots in many works, but in particular Ancona and Brisson. So here's the way it goes. We use Albrecht's method to compute the solution in some neighborhood of the origin. The kind of neighborhood of the origin we want to take is a sublevel set of the computed optimal cost function. This will typically be contain an open subset that contains the origin. We'll go to the boundary of this sub-sub-level sub, sub set. So somewhere on the level set, we'll pick up a point, and at that point, we'll compute a power series expansion for the solution for pi and kappa at that point. And that will give us the solution in a region attached to this circular region in the middle. And then we'll do this at another boundary point, another boundary point. So we'll have a series of patches all around to approximate the solution. And we'll repeat this and comp then compute on a larger section of patches. So this is what I'm going to show you. So let's start with the method in one dimension where the topology is so simple that the method is very easy to implement. So we have, again, we'll make the assumptions, these assumptions to guarantee that we have a convex Hamiltonian, convex in U, and this R is greater than zero. I'm going to take a scalar control, but that's just for simplicity of exposition. Everything I say would hold for vector controls, too. Um, so we'll compute the solution by Albrecht's method in some neighborhood of the origin. So this will, typically, this will be a degree four function. This will be a degree three function. Um, 
We plug them into the right side of the first Hamel-Jacobi equation with the exact F and the exact L, and we get a measure of how much the polynomial solution that we've computed fails to satisfy the Hamel-Jacobi equation, or the first of the two Hamel-Jacobi equations. And we can measure this with the local error or the relative local error, which is the ratio of rho to pi. So we accept the solution if this error or local error, relative error, is uh, small. And that gives us the zero solution and a patch on which we accept the zero solution. We go to an endpoint of the patch, say the right-hand endpoint, pick it up x1, and we compute the partial derivatives of the optimal cost and optimal feedback uh, to find new polynomial exp expressions valid to the right of x1. So the way we initialize this is we set the optimal cost of the new optimal cost to be the old optimal cost at x1, the old computed optimal cost at x1. And we're going to compute everything else, the other higher derivatives of pi and kappa, uh, we're going to compute explicitly. So the first step is we have to find the partial derivative of pi with respect to x, and we have to find the value of kappa at x1. So they satisfy these two partial differential equations that are um, the two Hamel-Jacobi equations written in the simplified form. So we can solve this second equation for u1, which is the optimal cost at x1, the new optimal cost at x1, and plug it back into the first equation. Because of the squared term here, when we plug it back in, we get a quadratic in pi, d pi dx. So this quadratic will have two roots. We'll take the root that's closer to our previously computed solution, d pi 0 dx. So we'll choose d pi 1 dx to be as close to d pi 0 dx as possible at x1. Now to find the next, once we have that, once we have that, once we have d pi dx1, we can easily solve the second equation for u1. So this is very similar to what we did with the Riccati equations at the lowest level. We get a quadratic equation by this method that we have to solve. Quadratic in d pi dx1. And then a linear equation for u1. Then to solve for the second partial of pi and the first partial of kappa, we differentiate the Hamel-Jacobi equation with respect to x and, and, and obtain this equation. Notice as before, the there's no mention of kappa, or partial of kappa, rather. There is a mention of kappa, the value of kappa, but not the first partial that we're looking for, d kappa dx1. So this is an equation in only a single unknown, this one right here. So we solve this equation for the single unknown, and then we solve the second Hamel-Jacobi equation for the first, the other unknown, the first partial of kappa. So we just solve these two pairs of equations. This is solvable because we've assumed two things. First of all, that this coefficient, f at x1, u1, is not zero. What that amounts to is just that the boundary of the level set is a non-characteristic in the language of Cauchy-Kovalevsky, is a non-characteristic curve. So that the, the characteristics, the optimal solutions, point transverse to this boundary. But that just in this trivial one-dimensional case, that's just a statement that this is not zero. And then the second assumption follows immediately if we just take r to be a positive number. And we get many times r as a design parameter, so we can choose it to be positive. 
So the further, the higher derivatives are found by just differentiating uh, more and more. And the same method works. This, the notation's messy, so I leave it off. Typically, we'll stop at the fourth derivative for the optimal cost and the third derivative for the optimal feedback. Very similar to Albrecht's method. We get an aquatic quadratic equation at the lowest level and then linear equations from then on in. So here's a one-dimensional example. We, we'd like to set up a nonlinear optimal control problem for which we know the exact solution. So we're going to use a little trick to do that. We're going to take a linear quadratic regulator. So the dynamics is linear, the cost is quadratic. So this is an LQR problem. There's a Riccati equation. P is a one-by-one one matrix in this case. It satisfies this equation. And here's the non-negative solution, positive definite in this case, solution to this quadratic equation. So then the optimal cost as a function of z looks like this. The optimal feedback as a function of z is just a linear function of z. So, and the closed loop dynamics is asymptotically stable as we can see. Now let's make a change of coordinates. This is a singular change of coordinates. As x gets close to pi over 2, the sine curls over. So we have problems that we get close to pi over 2, about 1.6. Uh, but when we make this change of coordinates and we plug it back into this dynamics and, uh, and Lagrangian, then we get what appears to be a nonlinear problem. Appears to be because it's linear in another change of, linear quadratic in another change of coordinates. So it is kind of messy. These are definitely nonlinear functions, and here's a nonlinear cost function here. But we know that the optimal cost is in terms of the z variable, and we know that z is related to x by this formula, so we know what the optimal cost is with respect to the x variable by just plugging this into the previously found formulas. So here's the optimal cost, here's the optimal feedback. They're definitely nonlinear. In this particular case, uh, because this is an odd change of coordinates, the original problem was odd in its dynamics and even in its cost. Uh, the optimal cost is a quadratic function, an odd function, even function of, the, of a, the state x, and the cost is an odd function of x. So here's, so we don't have to worry about computing in both directions, we'll just compute in one direction. This uh, solid line, the upper line here, is the true optimal cost that we've computed by this trick. And the dashed line, the lower line, is the optimal cost that we've computed by this patchy technique. You notice they start diverging. Remember I said that the change of coordinates that we were talking about was singular at about 1.6, uh, 1.55 or something like that. So you can see we're definitely getting into uh, places where the singularity shows up. But we do have pretty good agreement throughout the earlier part of the problem. Here is the uh, relative error between the two. And you can see uh, it's fairly small, about one-tenth, uh, multiples of a tenth, uh, four-tenths up here at the end. Um, you can see the number of patches. Each one of these little segments means we've computed another patch. The Albrecht solution was valid for a long time, up to 0.9. Unfortunately, the, the successive patches after that didn't last as long in their accuracy, and that's in part because of the singularity that we're approaching at 
So altogether there are 15 patches. Here's the optimal cost. The true optimal cost is again the upper line in blue and the uh, computed cost is the lower line in green. Notice how the computed optimal, uh, optimal feedback, the computed optimal feedback, excuse me. Notice how it recovers accuracy right here. This is at the end of the Albrecht solution. It's fairly inaccurate, but then it becomes much more accurate as we go on. And that's because the optimal cost only depends on the gradient, uh, the, the optimal feedback only depends on the gradient of the optimal cost, not the optimal cost itself. So the, we get better accuracy. And here's the relative errors. Again, each one of these is a new patch. Now here's what the method looks like in higher dimensions. So we'll have uh, an n-dimensional problem. We're actually going to specialize to two in a minute, but scalar control. Again, affine in, in the control, quadratic, the cost, the Lagrangian is quadratic in the control. And we'll compute the Albrecht solution in some neighborhood of the origin. We'll check the error, or the local error, the relative local error to make sure it's reasonable on some sublevel set where this computed solution is less than some constant C that we get to choose based on accuracy of the solution, how well the solution satisfies the Hamlin-Jacobi equation. Um, so we choose a point on the boundary of this level, sublevel set, uh, and we compute a patch, that is compute a power series solution of the unknown cost and unknown feedback outside the sublevel set around based at this point x1. And to do that, here's the Hamlin-Jacobi equation, and to avoid cluttering the slide with a bunch of sigma signs, I'm using a summation convention. So here this index sigma is repeated, and we sum on repeated indices. And we have this is the second Hamilton-Jacobi equation, again summed on repeated indices. So these are the two Hamilton-Jacobi equations. Um, for reasons that will become apparent in a few minutes, we're going to choose the index k that maximizes this number. Okay? So what this amounts to is basically choosing the coordinate direction point that points most in the direction of the characteristics, most in the direction of the optimal trajectories. And this will be a smart thing to do numerically, as you'll see in a minute. Now, we again initialize the optimal cost to be the old optimal cost, the optimal cost at x1 to be the old computed optimal cost. But we also have to compute transverse trajectories. What we can do is we can use the Hamilton-Jacobi equations to compute the change in pi in directions that are moving in the direction of optimal trajectories. But there are now, at higher dimensional problems, there are lateral directions, directions that are non-characteristic. And in those directions, we have to initialize the partial derivatives to be the transverse partial derivatives. So I went back to this problem here, and I'm going to choose k. I'm going to assume for notational reasons that, that k is actually n. So n is the direction, the coordinate direction in which the characteristic curve is going. That's uh, one sloppy way to think about it. And then in all the other transverse directions, we'll just set the new transverse derivative in that direction to be the old transverse derivative. Then we can solve the second Hamilton-Jacobi equation for kappa 1 and pl plug in the first to get a quadratic equation in the other nonals. So here is this partial in the nth direction, the characteristic direction, if you will. 
and it saw, solves this quadratic, very similar to before. And here A, B, and C are just uh, calculated from the data of the problem. They also involve the transverse derivatives. Uh, sigma grows from 1 to n minus 1. Now, if this equation has real roots, and it should if we're, if we're in good shape, otherwise we've got real problems, um, then we'll choose the new partial derivative in the, of pi in the characteristic direction to be the one that's closest to the old partial derivative of pi in that direction. And then we just solve the second equation for, for the optimal cost at that point. Then we have the quadratic partial derivatives of pi 1 and the linear partial derivatives of x1. And again, we're going to set transverse partial derivatives, that is i and j run from 1 up to, uh, this is the, 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 for i, j run from 1 up to n minus 1, not up to n. So these are the transverse partial derivative directions. In the, in the characteristic partial, at least one of the derivatives is, is in the characteristic direction, we can actually compute that from the Hamel-Jacobi equation. So we take the partials of the Hamel-Jacobi equations with respect to xi, and these are the equations we get. i is a fixed, we're not summing on i, but we are summing on sigma in these equations. Okay. And this is just a straightforward calculation. Now again, these equations are triangular. The unknowns in these equations are the, these partial derivatives when sigma is equal to n. And the unknown in this equation is this partial derivative here. Notice this unknown does not appear in the first equation, does not appear anywhere in the first equation. The other unknowns do appear in the second equation. We do know some of these partial derivatives, the ones that are in non-characteristic directions. So these can be solved one by one for the two n unknowns in the characteristic direction xn. And then once we have that, we can solve for the, the first partials of kappa. And this is what it looks like. So this is solving for the in partial of pi, second partial of pi 1. You can see we're multiplying by this quantity here. And this is the quantity that we chose to maximize before. Okay. We're multiplying, uh, th this sigma prime is, sum, is a sum not over the full range, but only on the range from 1 up to n minus 1. So we've extracted one of those terms and put it to the other side, that's this term here, and then divided by its coefficient. So effectively, these are the unknowns, these are the things we know, this is the thing we're looking for. It's multiplied by this term and divided by this term. Ideally, for numerical stability, we would like the ratio of these, this term divided by that term to be less than 1. Because if it's not, we're going to be using an unstable numerical method, and any errors that we've made will just grow with multiplications. And you can see this, very, this happening very often, in, even in dimension 2. Uh, if you don't choose this to be the largest possible value, and, and these, then, then you, you propagate errors and they just grow very quickly. So we repeat the process at higher derivatives. The formulas get very messy. They take a full page. Um, uh, that would take three or four slides to present, so I'm not going to do that. So here's the, um, this method applied to a two-dimensional example, again, where we know an exact solution through that same trick that we used before. So we'll set up a 
LQR problem for which we can compute the exact solution. So we'll take very simple dynamics, just a pair of integrators, and a very simple quadratic cost function. The optimal feedback, we compute the algebraic Riccati equation. Here's the solution of the, the non-negative definite solution of the algebraic Riccati equation. And so here's the optimal cost, and here's the optimal feedback. So we'll make a change of coordinates. We'll use that old sign we, we used in the previous example, and then a slightly different change of coordinates for Z2. When we do this and we recast the problem, it looks highly nonlinear. Even though it is in disguised, it's a disguised form of a linear problem. So here's what it looks like. And uh, here's the uh, solution computed by this patchy method for three rings of patches. So they have the central ring, which is the Albrecht solution. That's shown here in white. Then there's a second ring of green, red, alternating four patches, green, red, around that. And then there's a third ring of the blue-yellow patches. There are eight of them around that. And so this is the solution. And that's the true solution. I don't know if you saw the difference. Let me run it again. So they're essentially the same. Here's the error. If this is 10 to the minus 3, so the errors are one part in 100 over this. This is the true error, not the relative error. Here's the patch points. There's the Albrecht patch point, which is at the origin. Then there are four patch points here on this inner circle, and then there are eight patch points on the outer circle. And these are the contour lines of the patchy solution. And this is the contour lines of the true solution. You can see how similar they look. It's just another confirmation that we got things right. Now, there, this method, this patchy method, uh, can be applied to essentially all first-order partial differential equations. And there's several of them do come up in control context. The, if we had a differential game instead of an optimal control problem, we'd get something called the Hamilton-Jacobi-Isaacs PDE which comes up in H-infinity control, nonlinear H-infinity control. Um, one can compute basins of attraction for dynamics that you know are asymptotically stable by setting up a dummy optimal control problem. There's no control in the problem, but you just solve the Hamilton-Jacobi equations for some cho chosen Lagrangian that's only a function of x, say like x squared would, would be a typical one. And you solve the Hamilton-Jacobi equation, and that gives you a potential Lyapunov function that can be used for computing basins of attraction. This method goes back to the Russian Zuboff. It's sometimes called Zuboff's method. But it's really just a degenerate form of the Hamilton-Jacobi equation. Um, very often in nonlinear control problems, one is making a change of coordinates to take a problem that's difficult in one coordinate frame and take it over to another coordinate frame in which it's simpler. And typically when you make this change of coordinates, you can use things like output injection or state feedback or things like that. So it's not just a change of coordinates. And these lead to intertwining PDEs. And these are PDEs that link two sets of dynamics. So a solution over here maps to a solution over here by some function that is a solution of a PDE. 
And a, a very simple example of that is the stable manifold of a nonlinear dynamical system. It satisfies an intertwining PDE. Be, uh, intertwining between, the, non, between the, the stable part of the dynamics and the unstable part of the dynamics. Center manifolds do the same thing. So again, all these things, all these equations can be solved locally around the origin by the analog of Albrecht by a power series method, but that's only part of the, what you want. You want a glo more global solution so you can patch the solution out and go out and further and further. Feedback linearization is a very important technique in control design. It's, a gate, it's essentially an intertwining PDE. Um, there's a PDE for nonlinear observers uh, due to Kazantzis and Gravaris. It again is an intertwining PDE. The Francis Burns Isidori PDE of nonlinear regulation is another one of these intertwining PDEs. And um, not, not to say that all the work here is done. In fact, this, I think we've only scratched the surface here. There's a lot of open issues, a lot of things we haven't discussed, we haven't figured out yet. Um, the first and maybe most important is in the examples that I showed you, I decided a priori what the patches were going to be. The only adjustment I made was, was the size of the level sets. But other than that, I put the patch, patch, patches at very obvious locations. One would like to do this patching in an adaptive fashion. One would like to decide where the next patch should be in such a way that the singularities in the solution of the Hamlet-Jacobi equation occur at patch boundaries. Because then you can handle discontinuities, or at least non-differentiabilities, very easily at patch boundaries. If they occur in the middle of the patch, you're going to have real problems. Uh, and so you have, some, have to do some sort of adaptive patching. Knowing when you're approaching a singularity is rather difficult when you're working with the Hamilton-Jacobi PDE. However, if you go to the corresponding Hamiltonian system of ordinary differential equations, they have no singularities. And the singularities of the Hamilton-Jacobi equation occur where the map, where the, uh, where the stable manifold of those Hamilton differential equations goes vertical vertical in the, in the adjoint direction direction. That's, that's the vertical. The adjoint direction is vertical. The state direction is horizontal. When that stable manifold goes vertical, then you, you don't get coverage of the x direction. And that's when you get conjugate points and focal points. Patch size, error estimates, and so on. Uh, one can get error estimates very easily by standard Taylor series techniques, provided one knows that the solution is smooth. And this is another reason why you want the errors, the, the non-smoothness rather, to occur at patch boundaries. And then you can get accurate error estimates. Um, a particularly difficult is the lateral boundaries, the boundaries on the same ring of patches. So we had the, remember in the example, we had the zeroth patch and then we had our four patches around it. Between two patches in that, in that set of four, it's kind of hard to figure out where to, where to draw the patch boundary. Should one smooth the solution along patch boundaries? Average the cost. Can smoothness at lateral boundaries be specified in the process? How to handle conjugate and focal points? What happens when you have control and state constraints? I mean, one way to work control and state constraints into this problem is to adjust the Lagrangian 
as a penalty function to maintain those constraints. But what does that do to the, the stability of the calculations? If we replace the partial differential equations, many, many times we're, we will settle for an inequality solution of the Hamilton-Jacobi equation as opposed to, this would be a suboptimal solution of the Hamilton-Jacobi equation. Can we get smoother solutions by going to inequalities rather than equalities? Uh, what's the relationship with everything I said with the concept of viscosity solutions? Obviously, these are smooth solutions. So in some sense, the smooth, smooth approximate solutions. So in some sense, they must be close to being viscosity solutions. They must be close to being level sets, but that needs to be worked out. And again, all these questions, we need extensive numerical and, uh, and, and analytical analysis uh, to answer them. So I thank you for your attention. I'm sorry? If, if uh, we're taking a piecewise approach to construct a nonlinear function, right. there's an uh, immediate concern about how that will scale with dimensionality. And oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it's, yeah. Um, yeah, I, there's no question about that. Uh, the, um, I've, I've, calcul I've got a code that computes one ring around the Albrecht ring, so just, just one ring, that works in dimension four right now with no problems. Uh, it, realistically, I don't think this method can get above 10. But, uh, but, you, but to be honest with you, no, um, no method for solving Hamilton-Jacobi equations is really effective in three dimensions right now. So I mean, the, the best finite difference methods break down at that level too. So. Um, it, it's, it's, you know, it's the familiar, again, going back to Bellman, it's the familiar curse of dimensionality. There's just, there's no way around it. And, uh... Well, that's a following question from that is, in the examples you gave, you created the nonlinearity by a coordinate transformation. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, there's another, there's a whole body of work on dimensionality reduction and so trying to simplify models on if there's scope. Yeah. Um, actually, it's it's sort of the other way around. Um, the um, the standard model reduction technique in in control systems, in the linear cases, due to BC Moore, in which you solve uh, the uh, the analog of of algebraic Riccati equations, which are Gramian equations. You solve two Gramian equations, then you take the principal eigenvalues of one relative to the other, and then you take those eigendirections, and that turns out to be the states, those eigendirections span the state space for your reduced order manifold. Now this work has been extended to nonlinear systems by Jacqueline Sherpin, myself, others have done, have done work on this. And what we need to do that extension is we need Hamilton Jacobi solvers. <laughs> And then, and then uh, you solve two Hamilton, well, the analog of two Hamilton-Jacobi equations. One is not a Hamilton-Jacobi PDE, it's a Lyapunov PDE. But you solve a Lyapunov PDE and a Hamilton-Jacobi PDE, and you put the two of them together, and that gives you a reduced order manifold. So um, 
that again that suffers from the curse of dimensionality you know in in the nonlinear context in the linear context big is is thousands and small is hundreds in the nonlinear context big big is a dozen and small is two or three <laughs> so yeah so yeah and you looked at this approach of the Hamilton and Jacobi Bell and Isaac's equation, you know, disturbance of attenuation and gain power? No, I haven't. I haven't. This is the first attempt uh, at, at one model equation. I haven't, I haven't looked at it at all, on all these other PDEs that I've, I've listed here either. I mean, so this is the first attempt. I, I want to show the method works for uh, the, the plain vanilla optimal control problem. And then hopefully it will be extendable. So uh, one, and this doesn't solve the curse of dimensionality problem, but one other approach might be to approximate it earlier or patch earlier. So people might approximate the nonlinear system by a, um, a you know, piecewise affine system. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, so, any comments on that sort of approach? And where well, that would that would blend in very well. I mean, I, we started out with the assumption that the f and the l of our Lagrangian were nice, smooth functions that we could so we could compute power series. But in fact, they could be patchy functions too. They could be defined on on various patches, and then you would you would have those patches as as at least some of the patches, some of the patch boundaries of your, of your solution. So, for example, you could, um, there's no reason why we have to do this at dimension four. I mean, we could do this patching at two one levels. So we could just have a, a linear approximation around the origin, and then a, a series of patches where we have linear approximations in each patch, and the cost is quadratic in each patch, and so on. We could do that kind of thing. Yeah. Yes? <coughs> On the imaginary axis, anywhere on the imaginary axis is equally uh, unpleasant. Um, the the um, the the the. The proof of the existence of solutions to Hamilton-Jacobi equations, as I said before, goes through the following line of reasoning. All the eigenvalues of the linear part of the Hamilton differential equations are off the imaginary axis, half in the left and half in the right, left half plane. So then you have an n-dimensional stable manifold. If you had some eigenvalues on the imaginary axis in the closed loop, uh, in, the, in the Hamilton differential equations, you would not be able to split them into the left half plane and the right half plane. And the reason, reason why that's unpleasant is unless you can split these eigenvalues, put a, put a spectral gap between them, you don't know that there exists an invariant manifold associated with some manifolds. So um, you need some kind of splitting condition that might not be a spectral condition that the dynamics depend on the coordinates in a particular fashion so that there is a natural splitting so that you can get a stable manifold. And I proved a theorem like that uh, um, five or ten years ago. It comes up in the, in the Francis Burns Isidori regulator problem. 
because you can't control the eigenvalues of the, reg of the exosystem. They're usually assumed to be on the imaginary axis, so you're forced to deal with imaginary axis eigenvalues. And, but what you have there is that the exosystem dynamics doesn't depend on the system dynamics, and that gives you the splitting that you need to separate. But it's, it's mono a mono. You're, you know, you, you've got to tear the problem apart. There's, there's no high road in that case. Thanks again, everyone, and thank, thank you, you very much. Huh? Thank you.